and the guy wants to put his money down on one, he can afford one thing, what would it be the one product that hmm. you would go towards and focus in on if, if you were the consumer? I mean, it's such a broad you know, type of customer. It's hard to know what everyone wants. But I, at a high level, I would say mineral block during the summer and protein block during the fall and winter. This segment of DOD TV is brought to you by Leopold, American to the core. What's up, everybody? Welcome back to the Dury Outdoors 100% Wild podcast. It's episode number 258. We are powered by Deercast. Deercast. Last I checked. You're Tim Chelswick. You also are. No, you're just mad. You're mad, Jury. A different guy. There's only one of us. Look, before we jump into this, I got some big news. We always get asked where Mark and Terry are going to be appearing in case somebody wants to meet them or come say hi. They're going to be at the World Fishing Fair. Mm. at Bass Pro in Springfield, Missouri. And this is going to be, what day does this episode air, Tim? So this one will go out, so this will be this week. So it'll be before the the big shenanigans. Well, Wednesday, Wednesday. Wednesday the, and Friday this week. Okay, so, well, Wednesday so, the 30th. So for the audio side, you might catch it before we're there. But we have an appearance at 5 p.m. We're doing a seminar for Bass Pro there at the World's Fishing Fair. So pre-spawn largemouth? Fishing. Yeah, I mean, apparently there's a hunting section too. Hmm. We're going to be talking turkeys. I, I'm really excited about the uh, Concert for Conservation. Yeah, I mean, there. there's some big names. John Anderson. Uh, well, Luke Combs, Chris Jansen, Luke Bryan. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. They yeah. had Hank Williams Jr., but I just saw his wife passed away oh, uh, no. last week. So I don't Jeez. know if he's still going or not unexpectedly. Mm. So Bummer. Way to bring it down, Tim. Sorry. Wait, no, you mentioned. <laughs> you brought it down. <laughs> I'm just going to blame you. Speaking of bringing things down, everything's Bottom a little down. hot. So we should probably tease just a little bit. Things, That's all we do, too. Things feel... I'm a huge tease. <laughs> <laughs> My dad just said that your mom was really hot. I know. <laughs> we should tease that things feel a little off today because it may look normal and standard to folks watching and listening. I don't know. Maybe it sounds different too, but we've got some big things in the works yeah, so up in here. We've been working on a brand new set design over on the other side of our studio. When I say other side, I'm talking other like wing. 15 to 20 feet. <laughs> <laughs> we do a lot with a little here. Yeah. That's what she, okay. <laughs> that's what she said. That's what she said. Boom. Okay. So uh, we're working on a new set design and it, it's actually pretty cool, man. It's, it's a big upgrade from basically our desk that we got from Mark's home 20 years ago <laughs> that we've been putting interns on. <laughs> it, it's a big upgrade from the yeah. corner that we created over here. So well, I'm excited about it. The, one of the reasons it's going to be so great is because you and I were not allowed to do any construction work on it. No, but set design and ideas. We I had mean, input. We, we did have some input. Yeah. yeah so we're uh, big boys. They let us help. And I'm a big boy. <laughs> <laughs> there you go. So we're looking forward to that. I think the first guest we're going to come hot right out of the gate. Old man winner Terry Drury is joining us, and we're going to be talking turkey. So old man new set. That'll be next week. Looking forward to it. And mm-hmm. uh, big things are happening. Big things. Okay. We got some big dudes that are joining us <laughs> on the show. I don't know if that's how I would introduce <laughs> <Really>? them. <laughs> Get some guys. They're going to... Yeah. Big names. Big brains. We got a... This is a house of learned doctors. All right. We better Aaron introduce them. We better get rolling. Dr. Aaron Gaines and Tim Newman from Analogics. What's, What's up, up guys? guys? Hey. Doing well. 
Okay. Thanks so, much. yeah, we appreciate you guys jumping on with us. I wanted to, this is a time of year that I always found interesting because it's like, all right, you're getting ready. It's, it's about that time where turkey season's coming, you know, coming into many states and then uh, several states down south had already started. Mm-hmm. And, you know, obviously you guys are instrumental there with Analogics Outdoors and, and, and the supplemental feeding programs and all the science that goes behind it. But what happens this time of year? Because I think a lot of people probably back off. You think about winter and the really super cold months. It's warming up now. The deer are fine. They're good. Yeah. And so, you know, people usually kind of, I think if there's a lapse in time of when they're putting out supplements, it's probably this time of year because they then put them back out in the summer just because they're wanting to get that's when they see the velvet growing that's mm-hmm. when they think big deer pictures and so I, i'm interested to kind of dive right into it with you guys and get your thoughts on what somebody should be doing whether you got 50 acres five acres or 500 acres what what should your plan be during this time of year it's kind of a there is no off season as your you know slogan but i think a lot of people probably feel like this is an off season time for them yeah, I can take that one off right off the bat. So up here in Minnesota, we're still experiencing what I would call winter-like weather. I mean, we're still getting snowstorms. I think we're going to have, you know, three inches of snow, I think, on Wednesday, and that's going to be, God. you know, another winter storm, right? But we, we've had snow here as late as, you know, May, which is, that is surprisingly late, but we're still in winter mode here. But the rest of the U.S., I mean, you're talking about green up already. You know, yeah. they're, they're getting warmer temperatures and people have probably already been frost seeding and starting to see some clover maybe even pop farther south. So when when that transition occurs, I look at it as like a, a protein to mineral transition time frame. So in the winter, they need more of the protein because that is what is lacking on the landscape. As soon as that green up happens, then they've got protein options more across the landscape. So then I start switching and looking more at the mineral side of things, which is lacking when they have fresh green growth all around them. So depending on what time of the year it is in your area, look at the green up as the transition line. So if if the green up has not occurred yet, think about proteins. If the green up has occurred, then you're thinking more about minerals. And and what's the best way? So if, if someone is just starting a supplementation process on their ground what are some of the key things they have to do to start to help the deer know like, Hey, this is here, this is available and, and, and deliver it in a way that's most effective for the deer. If they're feeding in an area that the deer have not had any grains around them, like if they're in like Northern Wisconsin or Northern Minnesota, where there isn't grain fields all around them, the transition needs to be more gradual. You can't just dump out a bunch of high carbohydrate feed and expect the deer to do well on it because they don't have the organisms in their stomach to basically digest that much food in that rapid a time. And Dr. Aaron Gaines can talk more about the micro microbiology of the stomach. If we want to go out or Matt can, I mean, either here. one. <laughs> I'd defer to Matt. Okay. I'd love to touch on this topic, guys. It's been really bothering me. Your stomach <laughs> or you know, the topic? Yeah, both. Let's just let's just defer to Aaron here. He's the guest, I <laughs> guess. That's right. Let's be polite. <laughs> now that is a question we get about supplemental feeding. Can we feed straight corn a deer? And there, I know there's been some things put out there in social media around uh, feeding straight corn a deer that you can possibly kill deer with feeding supplemental corn. And that can happen under very rare conditions. And as Tim indicated, if deer have not been exposed to 
you know, corn or other cereal grains and all of a sudden you hit them with a slug of corn, you get a bunch of fermentation going on in the rumen and that causes something uh, called rumen acidosis or grain overload. And so to, to Tim's point, if, if you don't have access, if those deer don't have access to those grains and you start introducing them, you need to do it at a really slow rate. There needs to be an adaptation period. Otherwise you could uh, possibly harm that animal, but you get into the Midwest where deer have access to, to cereal grains like corn, supplemental feeding uh, with feeding straight corn is, is not gonna be a problem. If it was, we'd, we'd hear more about large kills of deer every year where farmers mm -hmm. left, you know, standing crop or as food plotters, we left standing crop to, you know, carry those deer through the winter months. It, it just doesn't happen. But, you know, people do get scared, right? When they hear off, hear about this one-off event where there was a deer kill because somebody put out a bunch of corn. Well, you got to kind of, you know, dig a little deeper and ask what really happened. And it's probably a function. They were in an area in a non-agricultural area Mm -hmm. where those deer didn't have access to corn and all of a sudden they went from eating uh, twigs and sticks and everything else to eating a highly fermentable carbohydrate source and you just have a bunch of acid produced in that room and let me ask you this so say you know you're in the midwest where they do have access to a, a lot of uh, corn and you didn't leave any corn standing so you're, you're hunting a piece you're on a lease or whatever and, and the farmer you know harvests his crops and so the the corn has been out for several months say you know mid-october or whatever all the way through to the end of the year and then once the season ends mid late january you decide to start feeding is it an issue then because they hadn't eaten it in so long or basically these these deer in those types of areas they're already they're just acclimated to it they've grown up around it is that their stomachs can handle it yeah, I mean, certainly there's going to be less residual crop left over right after the com combine comes through. We've seen that with today's technology, there's less residual crop, but they're still able to access some of that. So their rumen microbes are acclimated to that. And so the chances of, you know, harming a deer, even under those conditions, Matt, is has a low probability of occurrence. Okay. Uh, so I wouldn't worry about that. And as Tim, you know, Tim talked about, we start thinking about, you know, how to feed the deer year round. And we've, you know, in our supplemental feeding programs, we've kind of evolved to feeding more than just one diet all year long. Uh, for our large land managers, we're feeding in, mul in multiple dietary phases. We're feeding three diets during the year. And what we're doing is we're formulating those diets based on what the deer need. So for example, in the winter months, you know, we're focusing on, um, you know, high energy. Uh, to get them through the, the winter months. And then as they start to get through the winter months and advance to spring, we start uh, increasing the protein level. Uh, we got to think about that doe. She's gestating, you know, fawn or fawns. And so mm -hmm. protein requirements are increasing for her. Same way that buck is preparing for the next, next antler cycle. And so we need to start bumping that protein up. And then once we hit spring, and we start, you know, having these bucks that have got pedicles now, the does are starting to, to have fawns, then we bump the protein up even, even further to meet the requirements of those animals. So we've evolved to more of a three-phase feeding program uh, to more closely meet the requirements of that animal for our large land managers. And the nice thing about that as well is it does save costs, so we're not overfeeding nutrients at certain times of the year.
Mm-hmm. Now, oh, go ahead. I was just going to ask in, in terms of like, so you, you mentioned a three phase process. Is that pretty much a, a one size fits all for most places in the whitetails range? Or do people need to look at something that's customized based on where they live? Yeah, you could, you could alter it based on where you're at, but we've really taken that three phase feeding program and have adopted across pretty much the entire U S mm-hmm. uh, uh, where whitetail are at. So that, I mean, that program has worked really well, particularly right now. I, mean, I talk about cost. I mean, we're looking at corn costs right now at, you know, $7, seven fifty a bushel. And so um, it's really expensive right now to supplemental feed. Mm-hmm. And so anything we can do to help manage cost, you know, as a win, you know, for land managers and, and hunters alike. Uh, so that's something we do on our farms. We've been doing the last uh, four or five years of that phase feeding program. So, you know, we're talking pretty mass scale kind of stuff here. We're t- you know, I think, you know, the way Mark and Lee Likoski, these guys, and, and, you know, these are the types of land managers you're, you're, you're talking about. What about your, you know, for our listeners, it's probably more of a, a small scale, you know, a lease or smaller track type of a guy what what can they do and be effective heck i think of myself in general i just got a 102 acre farm that i bought what can i do you know i look at the herd and there might be 20 to 30 deer total across the 100 acres and that that counts them kind of coming and going a little Mm -hmm. bit so what can you do on that type of scale and do you still take that three-prong approach or do you start saying you know, because if, if I'm your average guy, I'm thinking, all right, I'm, I'm at Bash Pro, I'm at Cabela's, I see a bag of this stuff, or I see the mineral dirt, the products on the shelves. Should I get it? Should I not get it? What does it do outside of, you know, summertime and, and that attractability for the, the pictures and stuff for your cameras? What can I do to help my herd and the health of the herd um, on a smaller budget, smaller scale? Yeah, I mean, we'd simplify, you know, on, you know, in those situations, uh, Matt, you know, we just feed, you know, a one diet, the supplement gold, it's going to be a 16% protein. Uh, so it's going to meet the protein requirements of the buck and the doe and then ha- meet all the other requirements of that animal. Um, and that's a safe bet, right? You're buying some insurance, but it, it works better uh, for people that have maybe got smaller acreages and, and can't implement a three phase feeding program. Mm-hmm. Um, the other key, you know, key technology, you know, we'd be leveraging, uh, particularly going in the spring months is mineral. Um, and we always get the question, what's the best time to put out mineral? And Tim talked about, uh, you know, mineral supplementation, you know, occurring in the spring. And the reason that is during green up, that's when those plants are deficient. But I've kind of evolved to, I used to be uh, pretty rigid on putting my mineral out about the time turkey season started here in Northeast Missouri. It was always a good time to do it freshen up sites and I've kind of evolved to getting it out late winter starting in February and a lot of that's just a function of making sure that those minerals are available because we do see consumption on those sites even in late winter Hmm. and uh, again we got to go back to what's happening with that doe Uh, she's getting ready to have fawns and we want to make sure sure her mineral status is is up to speed if you will and we don't want to be putting it out in the spring when she's starting to have that fawn and she's had some mineral depletion already we want to get ahead of that not be behind the eight ball Mm -hmm. so start loading that mineral earlier how many mineral sites i've I've always used your mineral dirt 180 and had a lot of good success with it they they really seem to hit those sites how many sites would you put out in 30 acres or 50 acres or like is there a certain you know hey you need to do uh, you know two sites per every 
X amount of acres or what would you do there? Tim, you want to take that? Yeah, I'll take that one. I like to say no more than 25 deer at a site, which it's hard to know the deer density and the, and the habitat acres attached to, you know, cause there's different habitat types, 80 acres in one area might be totally different than 80 acres in another area. But if you want to look at it at a per acre standpoint, I usually say 80 acres is a good average as far as one mineral site per 80 acres. Okay. You could also put a sign up next to the mineral site that says 20, 20 deer maximum. Stand six yeah, feet apart. Yeah, kind of like the hot tub, you know, you're not supposed to have more than like 20 people in there. Yeah, so you're not supposed to sign. bring a toaster in there and stuff. No, about you. $200 yeah. is $200. I'll, I'll toast, toast my bread, my hot tub if I want to. <laughs> Thank right. you. Well, that's, that's, that's interesting because, you know, I, I, I think about it. I always go back to this because this, this is what I'm ultra fo- focused Here on right go. now. I got 100, the 100 acres, and I think about two sides of the farm basically where I see the most deer. Mm-hmm. You know, the west there's a west there's a southwest side and the northeast side, and I think I would put two separate sites out, but realistically, it's probably the same deer traveling back and forth. Small enough, yeah, yeah, yeah. But it, but if you've got if you say you know 30 deer are using that acreage then you want you're over the 25 deer gotcha. per site so then you want to spread it out and put two yep yep so, yeah like i agree with the sign i agree with tim on that i you know on farms here in northeast missouri i run one mineral site for 40 acres because i've got the deer density and the other thing is location i try to put those mineral sites in in kind of the center of the farm mm-hmm. and not on the periphery uh try to concentrate my food sources within the center of the farm and not on the edges to my neighbors. Yeah. So makes yeah, perfect makes sense. sense. Now uh, let's talk about uh, actual actual like delivery of mineral. I've heard I've heard it said over time that deer prefer to take mineral out of the ground mm-hmm. as opposed to in just a block form. But I don't know if that's if there's if there's really anything to that. Yeah, I, I've done it either way. You know, whether I'm just pouring loose mineral on top of the ground or putting a block on top of the ground. But I have found the best way for whitetails to ingest minerals is to mix it in with the topsoil a little bit. So that soil buffer just creates something that deer like better than just pure minerals. Hmm. And, and I think it's just a little bit more natural than to ingest a little bit of soil rather than pure minerals. Mm-hmm. Now, if you have like neighbors that have cattle or if you have cattle like do not put it anywhere near that because they seem to sniff it out and they'll mm. destroy the site. Yeah. I mean, it's amazing how, how they'll find it and smell it and or however the hell they find it. But it's it's pretty crazy. I've had that on, on the Ellsbury lease. We've had that happen a couple times where they break the fence and go over yeah. there and find it and just destroy the area. And, and to Tim's point, I've had better luck with just mixing it into the soil before mm. you guys started really focusing on, on the blocks. That was, you know, you'd go in there and you'd kind of rake it into the soil or whatever. And the deer just, I mean, I'm telling you like some of my best deer pictures have been over mineral sites mm. where you put it out this time of year, but then maybe you put another, you know, in the summer you put, you know, put a little bit more out or something. Sure. How, how often do you guys replenish that if you're using the, the mineral bag versus the block? It really depends on soil type. So certain soils will leach minerals faster through the soil profile, like really sandy soils. They can't hold the minerals, Mm -hmm. so they just leach down quicker. And in those types of spots, I would try and find like a a rotten log to put the minerals on to hold it a little bit longer. But if you've got good quality black dirt, that can hold that mineral for a lot longer time. So you can get up to six weeks out of one 10-pound 
mineral dirt 180 application on good dirt. But if your soil is worse, then you just got to reapply more often. If you've got good dirt and you have access to maybe a stump that's rotting, do you have a preference there? I, I like the dirt over the, the wood if, if, the, if the soil is good black dirt. Okay. What about, what about the presence of water near mineral? Does that, does that help draw a deer in if they have access to water and mineral right there? It helps does. With consumption. Yep. And yeah, it'll drive consumption up. And I think the other thing back to the block versus the granular, something that has worked well for me on terms of how often you go in there and freshen it up. Um, I try to minimize intrusion uh, into some of my hunting sites. And my tendency is to go in each month or my past tendency has been to go in each month to freshen up mineral licks, check cameras. As I move to more cell cams and trying to reduce presence in some of my hunting sites and intrusion, I'll go in there and actually put a block uh, in late winter mm -hmm. and then top dress it with the, uh, with the granular, with the mineral dirt 180. And what that does is that block over time, you know, sl slowly breaks down. So it's kind of replenishing that mineral site over time already for you. Hmm. And you don't have to go in there every month and freshen it up. So those two products together are beneficial. But uh, that's something I started doing last year and it seemed like that's worked well. Mm -hmm. um, the other thing that we've uh, introduced for this year uh, in terms of mineral supplementation is we've got a new product uh, called Deer Oasis that delivers minerals through the water. And so we tested that last year. Basically, we can provide all the, all the minerals through the water, except for calcium and phosphorus, but we can hit all the micro minerals like manganese, copper, uh, zinc, selenium, and iron uh, right through a water source. So uh, on my farms, I put out water tanks, uh, 100 gallon to 300 gallon tanks uh, with hmm. deer oasis. And it's just another way to drive mineral consumption in these deer. What if you have, you know, some man-made water holes? I'm not talking ponds, but just like, you know, little, I don't know, 10 things. Well, but not, not even, they're just, they're, they're, you know, you take a, a skid steer and you kind of basically make a little hole, you know, in, in the timber yep. or something. Would it still work as well if you, if it's not like clean water or anything, does that matter? I wouldn't think it would, but does that matter? It, it would work. It just would be hard to know the exact gallons that you have in that without some pretty complex statistics. I don't know. <laughs> Can you overdo it then? Like say, I've seen the bottles that you guys are talking about. What if I poured two of those bottles into, you know, I'm talking an area the size, a little bit bigger than this desk, maybe, you know, and, and overall width and length. And, you know, it might be a foot deep, you, you know, yeah. if you just pour You're saying if, if you think it is... 200 gallons and in reality it's 100 gallons if you double dose them is it going to be impactful to the deer yeah. negatively i would say no what would you say aaron you'd have to be way off i mean mineral toxicity can occur but i mean you'd have to be way off the mark but you know what you're talking about matt i mean you you can do some calculations to determine how many gallons are present in that uh containment and then you look at how you know let's say you fill it up today and you go in each month and fill it up uh, based on how much water was added back to it, i.e. rainfall. I mean, that's that's the way I would handle that scenario uh, is look at, you know, what, what you start with, how many gallons and say it's a thousand. And let's say you got precipitation that month and it added another thousand gallons. So you just adjust based on the rainfall you, you got back into that holding structure. Hmm. 
Yeah, because so. that 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 interested. I, I was talking to you know Mark Freeze and and Don about this uh, a couple of weeks ago, and that's interesting to me to be able to kind of supply that to them basically where they're drink they're drinking you know water at. It yeah. seems like an easy solution. You know, not much work involved. Just pour it out. <laughs> yeah, and and I guess if you're like hunting public ground and maybe you don't want and, and it's legal to to put to put mineral and, and maybe that's something we talk about is the legalities around mineral water and is it treated the same but it also the, the optics are a lot less attractive for someone walking by and saying oh there's a block there yeah so you know it, it's a little more covert yeah that that's a tricky subject because it's hard to know what the mineral level was on that water before any additions were made you know because nat- natural water has minerals in it to mm-hmm. some degree it's just we're tweaking those levels up you know artificially but who knows what they're supposed to have in that pond on that public land i mean maybe they could tell that it's apple flavored but <laughs> <laughs> get down there and taste that water because yeah. it tastes like apples <laughs> yeah interesting so okay so uh, the the I know that you guys last year focused on the black ops and the white ops a little bit more as a pro in general, as a product line and which it's interesting because it, it looks like dirt. I mean, it doesn't look like anything. Right. Um, so, so you guys added to that line this year, what, what's the thought process behind black ops or white ops in general? What, like, what's the importance there versus using you know, um, three, you know, the mineral dirt 180 or, cause I know you got a version that's mineral dirt, right. And then you got stuff that's kind of like the flavoring, so to speak of, uh, gold, right. Black Ops actually, I think does a better job of looking like dirt than mineral dirt 180. Um, with the whiteout, that is, that is a way to supplement, uh, basically using an attractant that is, it's not as, uh, costly per pound. So if you just want pictures of deer, you just want to bring them in for an attractant, that's where the whiteout really comes in handy. But there's also been some research we've done that there are some deer that are lacking salt. So we have some salt in that product that will help Mm -hmm. their, it's not exactly for antler growth, but it's for bodily functions that could lead to better antler growth. So I put out some black ops last year in, what was that? Early August, first picture the first deer that is on it is the safe buck. The, the deer you end up killing mm-hmm. at the end of the yeah. year. Yeah. That's cool. It was really cool to see him there and see him go like going there to that spot. Oh yeah, for sure. So, so I guess, you know, as you look at everything you guys, cause you guys got a ton of product, you got a ton of SKUs at this point. And, and if you're going to, you know, Tractor Supply, Bass Pro, wherever, wherever it is, and you see all these products that you have, and the guy wants to put his money down on one, he can afford one thing. What would it be the one product that mm-hmm. you would go towards and focus in on if, if you were the consumer? I mean, it's such a broad, you know, type of customer. It's hard to know what everyone wants. But I, at a high level, I would say mineral block during the summer and protein block during the fall and winter. Hmm. Those would be like the two standards of our, you know, somebody who just wants to put $20 down and get a good return on their investment in terms of longevity and doing something for their deer. Yeah. So you, you, you know, 
obviously we, we know that there's a lot of science that goes behind what you guys do, but, and we've had you guys on the podcast before and we've talked about this, but in case we got new listeners, wh- what is it that sets you guys apart from the competition? That's just, you know, talking about attract, you know, the attractive nature of their product or what, what, I mean, you guys, there's a big, like parent company that goes into this that focuses on animal health in general like kind of talk about the science side of what you guys do i mean you just look at our training you know our educational background dr Gaines in nutrition and myself in wildlife ecology and wildlife management i mean i've got a master's degree in wildlife science and i did research on white-tailed deer where did you graduate from publication in the journal of mammalogy so you look at other deer companies and they have salesmen as their you know background yeah where did you do your graduate work at tim i I was at auburn university uh party school total party school (laughs) (laughs) if you choose to party (laughs) (laughs) there there, there are parties there i had a really interesting job it was my job to do the collection of fawns on this property so i would basically catch and release hunt because I had a tranquilizer gun. So oh. I would dart these deer and then I would go collect the females that are pregnant. And then I would put a transmitter in them so that as soon as a fawn dropped, I knew because it changed the signal because oh. the ambient air temperature changed in the transmitter and I could run out there and capture fawns. Jeez. So, so I'm, I'm, I've always been fascinated by tranquilizer guns. What's the range on a tranquilizer gun? It's not as good as you think. I mean, these darts are, you know, bigger than a pen and you're, you're shooting that out of a, it's, it's shooting a 22 blank uh-huh. is the projectile that fires that. So about 20 yards is about all the farther uh-huh. you want to shoot one of those. Unless you're Tim Wells and you can blow a dart <laughs> a hundred. Tim right. Wells, a blow gun track version um so and then how long does it take for the deer to go down uh within a few minutes hmm. yeah yeah i mean they they will go down and lay down and then like if you ran over there like they could still get up but within a minute or two then they're straight out sleeping okay I was just listening to a story about a guy that was tranquilizing uh, grizzly bears up in Alaska for a radio collar tracking. And they were trying a new type of drug and it hadn't been tested. And this mama bear started to kind of come out of her drowsiness and just kind of slowly clamped down on his forearm and wasn't super you know, she wasn't biting down with all of her, with all of her pressure, but enough to where he couldn't get his arm out. His buddy had to come over and pry the bear's jaws open and get his arm back out. Jeez. Crazy. No, thank Imagine you. Imagine if that happened with a deer. I mean, I'm Scary. just thinking of the movie Old School when Will Smith gets you got a dart in your neck. Are you okay? So that's where I took it. Uh, <laughs> maybe, so maybe we could get, for the new set, let's get our own uh, tranquilizer guns. That's right. Yeah, at least fun. a taser. <laughs> Tase me, bro. Um, is there a way? Is there a way for people to be able to, whether visibly or see things on their property, like deer behavior that indicates uh, it looks like maybe there are deficiencies in this particular area, so I need to start doing this. It's one of those things that it doesn't show up quickly if their herd is in bad condition, like it will happen over time. But mm-hmm. I like to look at indicators like. Uh, coat shine in the summer Mm. because when I see a healthy deer in the summer, like it just shows up in pictures like that coat sheen is just something like people that have dogs can understand what I'm talking about. Sure. Like when they see coat shine, but I mean, we have a test that 
is on our website. It's a liver analysis. It's kind of like a soil test, but it's geared toward the individual rather than the dirt. And it basically looks at their circulating micromineral levels over the past six weeks. And they basically just buy the tests on our website. And then we send them the cooler and they ship the liver back to us for analysis. So that's one way that they could find out and really look, crunch, crunch the numbers on their herd to see if they're healthy or not. But there's other indicators too. Like if you're seeing a lot of twins or triplets in your uh, does late summer, that's a good indicator because those are healthy deer. You know, an unhealthy deer would have more singletons. Okay. Because they don't have the nutrition to drop twins. And then obviously antler growth is another indicator. If you're if you're growing 170 inches anywhere, you got pretty good health. That's all my properties. <laughs> what if it's more <laughs> in the 110 to 120 range? <laughs> I mean, like, like the reality is, there's some areas I get it, like regions. But say you're in the Midwest, it, where deer can grow, you know, to great, you know, antler growth, mm-hmm. but they're not. Is it, you know, I know there's a lot goes into it. The dirt, you know, the, the, what, you know, if you have corn, bean, whatever you're growing, I mean, yeah, the hunting pressure, like, are there ways that what you guys do in the feeding programs can actually get them out of that rut? (laughs) 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 Makes sense. Dr. Gaines maybe can tell us about the study in Mississippi state that showed people down in Southern Mississippi, they thought they had a genetic problem, but it was really a nutrition problem. Yeah, that's probably the best study to reference is the Mississippi State uh, University Deer Lab study where they basically uh, thought that genetics was the cause of regional variation, uh, both in body weight and antler size. And what they actually found was maternal nutrition of those does uh, was having a, a bigger impact on phenotypic expression of those mm-hmm. bucks in terms of antler growth and, and body weights. And so, and it took some time to show up, but uh, effectively I'll, I'll try to summarize that study, mm-hmm. but uh, basically in Mississippi, there was, there's three areas in Mississippi. Um, there's a Delta region, uh, thin Los region. And then I think what they called a lower coastal plains region. And what they noticed it, was that there was differences in body weight and and uh, antler score across those three regions and the delta region which is more ag um, ag based ground those deer had heavier body weights and increased antler size versus like the lower coastal plains uh, which was more uh, uh, trees and and things like that Mm -hmm. non-ag agricultural ground those deer had lower um, body weights and lower antler size. And so their hypothesis was that uh, genetics could be in, influenced in the regional variation. And so uh, basically what they did was um, they went in and uh, captured those does from those three different uh, regions and uh, brought them into, into a captive pens. And those does from those three regions had their fawns um, and so they were fed for a short period of time and under, under captive facilities. And the first generation, of course, uh, there were still differences in those deer in terms of body weight and antler size. Mm-hmm. But what's interesting is those does that were born from those mothers in captivity were then reared in captivity for a full generation. Or they had, you know, those, those doe fawns were bred and then they had 
their offspring in captivity, but they were fed adequate diets. And what was interesting is that the, the bucks from those does uh, across the three regions really started to uh, become very similar in terms of those differences between those regions started to dissipate. And what that, uh, and by the second generation, uh, the deer across those three regions were very similar. And I think the conclusion from, from that group at Mississippi State was that genetics was not the cause of regional variation and body and antler size, but it showed a very clear link uh, between body and antler quality as it relates to nutrition. Um, so maternal nutrition had a big impact on regional variation um, in those three areas within Mississippi. And so the nice thing is uh, from that research is nutrition is something we can control in our properties, mm -hmm. right? Genetics, we cannot control. And, and I think the other key piece from that work was that as you start thinking about supplementing your deer herd or that supplemental feeding or a mineral program, it's going to take some time for those animals to express that, that genetic potential. But I think uh, between, you know, the DOD team, uh, Lakoski's, uh, the stuff we do on our farms, I think we've got good evidence what nutrition does over time in terms of the quality of the deer herd. Yeah. Uh, you look at, you know, the animals that the DOD, DOD team has harvested the last few years and what Lakoski's have harvested, I think the proof's in the pudding. No yeah. doubt. <laughs> you know, and I, I think ideally, you know, everybody would be able to feed that, that as much as those guys are feeding, but even like, I think that's what gets lost in this. Yes, Mark does. Yes, Lee does a lot. But we have just your average everyday working class guys that hunt on Drury Outdoors team that do more of a here's, you know, a steady flow of, of a few bags here and there, the mm -hmm. mineral dirt this time of year, you know, and they're also having that type of success. So um, I don't I don't think it's just because those like the marks and the lees of the world feed so much, you, you know, that you can still put a plan in place and execute your plan and have an effect. It kind of shows you how much how far a little bit will go in this realm of nutrition sure so yeah that's cool do you guys want to stick around for the question of the day wildlife word or you have uh like productive things to do <laughs> sure we'll stick around for the uh, entertainment factor yeah there we go we have an implied oral agreement then <laughs> sure <laughs> what the hell let's see this thing crash and burn yes <laughs> All right. All right. So, Chad. yeah, the question of the day is probably brought to you by Blocker Outdoors. Put the sneak on your gobbler this spring and silent tech in Mossy Oak Bottomland from Blocker Outdoors. And be stylish. That's right. What are some good minerals to use or what minerals do you guys use on your farm in Iowa and Missouri? Chad comes out of the gate like he's under duress. That's right. Somebody's gun to his head. Is this a friend of yours? I wish. All right. So he's just asking what are the, we pretty much just answered all this. So the, what Chad wasn't of, listening. Yeah. Come so on, Chad. He's asking Jeez. what types of minerals that we're using in Iowa and Missouri. So first of all, I will say Missouri, you got to watch out like certain like da dad isn't using. If you're in a CWD county. Yeah. Yeah. Mm -hmm. He he isn't and he hasn't been able to for a couple of years um, use anything. Now, one of it's like his farm split into two counties and one side, I think last year, maybe uh, it, it did open back up. So. 
I, I don't know if he started feeding again or, or mm. put mineral out. But Mark, on the other hand, you know, in in Missouri, he got a county. It used to not be this way, but I think in the last couple of years, he had a county that got into the CWD program or, or sure. you know, yeah. restrictions. So he had to stop there. But in Iowa, he is still full out. Uh, mm-hmm. um, doing the program, but I don't know if he uses any mineral per se. It, Dr. Aaron Gaines might be able to speak upon this better, but I know he feeds a ton of gold, supplement gold. Mm-hmm. Aaron, yeah, I can't. Yeah, I can't speak to um, that question, but uh, I think Mark Mark obviously feeds a lot of supplement gold. I can't speak to the mineral side. Tim, you mm-hmm. might know. You mean as far as what you can legally do in Missouri? No, if Mark's using anything specifically in, in Missouri or Iowa. I, th- I, I, don't I think, think he's using Mineral Dirt 180 on his Iowa farm only. I don't think he's doing anything in Missouri. Okay. Yeah, I don't think he can anymore. I think maybe two years ago or so, somewhere, somewhere around there. I mean, it definitely highlights the fact that you have to watch every year because those, at least in Missouri, the CWD counties change mm-hmm. based on, it seems like they're getting a little more liberal and they're, they're closing some of those restrictions down for a lot of counties. But as new cases pop up, they're, the, the, that situation is very fluid. Yeah, that's a good question. And, and, and I know this is a heated topic, but in your, your opinion, what, you know, feeding and CWD, I mean, do you see a, a huge detriment there to, to putting feed out or supplement feed out versus not doing it at all? The, I guess the theory there is if you're putting feed out there, you're attracting a bunch of animals into one area and then transmission. But realistically, does that have a huge effect on it? I, I kind of play the devil's advocate here and say that a feeding ban is actually worse if you're going to think about it in a scientific light. Because if you think that deer are artificially congregating at these sites, it's actually worse when it's illegal because fewer people are doing it. It's not, it's not going away at a landscape level. It just means this guys are doing it you know, undercover and in the background. So now there's fewer sites across the landscape that deer are congregating. So I, I would argue that it's, it should be legal everywhere, even in CWD counties, because then the deer are spread out across the entire landscape. Hmm. Interesting. They're concentrated, basically. You're putting them in little smaller areas. They're not, they're not going and, and traveling all over the place trying to yeah, find... Yeah, so in, for instance, like southern wisconsin where it's completely illegal to use minerals we're selling the heck out of it at fleet farm and i don't think a lot of those guys are taking it up to northern wisconsin where it's legal so Hmm. i mean at a landscape level there's still some sites out there and there should be more in an area where the cwd isn't concerned because then there aren't deer traveling you know three properties away to get to that mineral site yeah yeah it's having a the inverse behavior yeah. as to what they're they're wanting to accomplish and Aaron, what do you think yeah i mean tim brings up a good point i just i mean i think cwd i mean is sometimes uh more political than anything uh we got to use some common sense here i mean deer are herd animals you think about it they 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 live in groups they they groom each other they concentrate in the ag fields and our food plots so removing supplemental feeding uh or mineral supplementation in, in you know areas that have CWD, you may be making the problem worse to Tim's point because you're concentrating them, concentrating more of them because people are are doing it illegally. And the the other thing is we're starting to learn that there's some technologies that can be delivered through the feed that could help with CWD. So that could be a tool in the future um, to help with CWD, like we've done with EHD, right? I mean that's the 
you know, EHD kills a lot more deer than CWD does. Mm -hmm. And, you know, our, our focus uh, since 2012 has been trying to address uh, EHD virus or episodic hemorrhagic disease. I mean, that's where analogics got their start. Um, and you guys asked earlier about the science uh, with analogics. I mean, analogics has a vaccine company that makes autogenous vaccines for captive deer herds for uh, things like EHD virus. And so that's been our focus is EHD. And we know we can do things through the feed that can help those animals uh, survive under EHD or other disease challenges. So I just hate to see the fact that we're taking technology away, like supplemental feeding and mineral supplementation, things that could help the deer herd from a health standpoint. Hmm. Yeah. All right, Tim. Next so up. we just learned some stuff. Now we're going to learn some more stuff with a wildlife <laughs> word. All right. See if you could stump the pros here. Brought to you by Tracker Off-Road. Get your guys and your gear anywhere you need to go on your ground with the power and dependability of Tracker Off-Road. Okay, guys, it's multiple choice. This heavy metal serves as an antioxidant and supports liver function, cell division, cardiac health, skin growth, and whitetails. And it is A, Slayer, B, Lead, C, Mercury, or D, Selenium. I'm going to go with D. That's my final answer. <laughs> Tim, D. what do you have? Phone I got friend? D as well. Oh, me too, you guys. Oh, you guys just... Copied off Matt. <laughs> That's right. That's what I was going to sure say. Sure did. That's what I was going to say. Yeah. It is selenium. I should have clarified the uh, A slayer is the band slayer. I assumed. <clears throat> you always have a gimme in there. That's mm -hmm. the one I usually Check. pick. <laughs> <laughs> one of these days, the gimme's going to be the right one. That's right. Yep. All right. So we got some uh, new shout outs in the rack pack. So if you aren't already in the rack pack, you just go over to Facebook. It's private group for podcast listeners. You type in, in the search bar, Jury Outdoors, 100% Wild Podcast. If you were a loser in your life prior to being part of the rack pack, sorry. But once you join the rack pack, you become a, a winner. You're a big boy. And a big boy. Yeah, that's right. A winning big boy. All right. So every week, Tim gives me a list of names. Every week, I read them. Every week, there's a fake name. And every week, I got to figure it out. Mm, who All could right. it be? And every week, I butcher 90% of these people's names. Apologies to everyone. <laughs> All right. We got Brent Burdick. Um, uh, R. Burdick. <laughs> whatever. Barb EQ. EQ. <laughs> You, Tim. Steve, Steph, go Matt. <laughs> These poor people. They used to listen. Caleb Kruger, Lane Bolander, Harrison Stafford. Stafford. Yep. <laughs> it could be any one of those names. <laughs> it's the way I read them. <laughs> Caleb Kruger. <laughs> That's Caleb. <laughs> Hold on. I no. can't read. <laughs> <laughs> I showed Alan earlier the list. I was like, can you pick out the name that's... Uh... I thought it was... I thought this said Goat Meat. <laughs> go Matt or Go Mate. Stuff Goat Meat. <laughs> I like Goat Meat. Is it... I, you tell me. I don't know. Who is it? It is Barb EQ. <laughs> Barb EQ? Barbecue. God damn it. <laughs> uh, because I can't read, I don't read them fast enough to, to, to figure out which one's a fake one. Just gotta say it faster. Also, Caleb Kruger's a lie, too. Sorry, Caleb. Sorry, people. <laughs> we got a uh, uh, 
a podcast review over on Apple Podcast from Punk Nasty. Hmm. <laughs> Punk Nasty says we're an entertaining podcast. Love the podcast. The soundboard is great. It's a great combination on hunting and comedy. Feels like you're just sitting at hunting camp shooting the bull with your buddies. Now he didn't say anything about info. <laughs> oh no, say it was a great place. No, minus this podcast for information. Very little redeemable educational value. That's right. There. Yeah. Well, how's it feel, guys? Glad you stuck around for that. <laughs> yeah, I'm glad we brought some information besides comedy today. <laughs> Balance out the show. Maybe finally. they should be the hosts. Yeah, <laughs> I'd watch that. I, I'd say we just mix it up. I like it. Yeah, it's good. Yeah. Well, we know how to dumb it down. That's for sure. At least one of us. <laughs> one of our podcast reviewers said something like. There's sometimes comedy. <laughs> I was like, uh, I can't disagree I'll take with that. that. Too. <laughs> yeah, jeez. It's usually at the expense of someone. Uh, uh-huh. Yes, sometimes ourselves, sometimes our listeners, mostly mm-hmm. me. Sometimes people that have wronged us. Sometimes Mark and Terry. <laughs> right. Good thing they don't listen. <laughs> oh yeah. Well, guys, thanks so much for joining. So this is officially the last podcast on the old set. Burn it down. It did. It did its yeah. job. It was uh, a corner loyal the, and faithful. A corner in the office. Yep. <laughs> now can, we could stick an intern right here. That's right. Yeah, another desk. Nose to the grindstone. <laughs> this is your corner, Nose sir. to the barn wood. Here we go. <laughs> Uh, all right, guys. We'll, we'll make sure to, to drop a, a link to the Analogics website in the page in case, uh, or in the show notes in case folks want to stop in and see just what might be a good solution for them on their property. What are you guys' social handles uh, people might want to follow as well? I know, Tim, you, you, a lot of times there's a Fun Fact Friday that you do. Yeah, and- Fun Fact Friday. I mean, that, they can just find Analogics on Facebook, on Instagram, on Twitter, you name it. I think right. we even have a TikTok account, but I, I'm not real into that. I'd like to see you and Aaron doing some new, you know, hip dances. That'd be cool <laughs> to hip hop music, yep. popping and locking. Yeah, yeah, don't don't wait around too long to see that. So, <laughs> all right, very good. Well, we appreciate you guys very much. Keep doing what yep, you're doing. Thank you guys. Thank you for your yeah. time. Thanks for having us. Yeah, thanks for having us. Till next ya. time. Yeah, tune in yep. episode 259 yep, with Terry Drury on the new set. All right. Peace out. Temperatures are going to be dropping. Perfect conditions for the skinny field. I got to focus on those afternoon hunts. Northwest Tree Stand, 5 p.m. It's the easiest decision you'll make this season. Get ahead of your game with DeerCast.